Welcome into Two Foreign Drafts. Austin Gale here. Loaded show for you guys today. We're going to go over some of the biggest NFL surprises now two weeks into the 2020 season. Also going to do Mike Renner's Rolling Rooks, the top five rookies from week two. Some good names on that list. We also have a new segment on the Draft Prospects and Rookies podcast called After Close, looking at second-year guys that performed well in week two. Then we're going to finish it off with four back-to-back segments. The Blackout segment, a bad performance by a rookie in week two. Raise a glass. Raising a glass to some of the top performances in college in college from draft prospects and then our poor one out similar to the blackout segment but a bad a few bad performances at the collegiate level and then fake id to finish an underclassman exceeding expectations at the collegiate level in college football week through week three let's get into it We wanted to kick off two for one drafts with a little NFL surprises. You know, we don't have to talk rookies and draft prospects every single time. Got to look at the NFL. Got to look at the overall storylines. Let's start with this right now. Who is your most surprising team in the NFL through two weeks? I, I think the most surprising team to me, and it's not in a good way, is Philadelphia Eagles. Because everyone thought, you know, wide receivers are back. You have uh, Deshaun Jackson, obviously Alshon Jeffrey still hurt, but you have Sean Jackson, got Jalen Rager, the emphasis on giving Carson Wentz more weapons. J.J. Arthega Whiteside going into year two. Offensive line still solid, even though you don't have Brandon Brooks, you didn't have Lane Johnson week one. But Carson Wentz has been the worst quarterback in the NFL through two weeks. Yes. Not even like a debate. He's been awful. And it's not just, oh, you know, like maybe he's under pressure and had a tough situation. No, he's missed a zillion throws, lowest on target rate of any quarterback in the NFL and the most turnover worthy plays of any quarterback in the NFL. And, and it's not like he went against world beater defenses in the Washington football team and the Los Angeles Rams. Like those are they're. Uh, I'm not hating on their defenses by any means, but it, it, he had opportunities and he's just played awful. And so for them to be zero two, that's a pretty darn big surprise to me. I, I would agree. I mean, Carson Wentz is literally the lowest graded quarterback through week two, yeah. a 44.0 PFF grade. There is no debate there. Also, I mean, the offensive line has not been good in, in Philadelphia, and they're also battling injuries. But you combine that with poor quarterback play, the wide receivers struggling, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside not taking that second-year step, and then now you have the offensive line play. I mean, it's just been a tough go on the offensive side of the ball for Carson Wentz and company. It's, if, go ahead. It's not good, though, compared to what it has been. Mm-hmm. But it's – if you just compare it to the rest of the league, it's like you can win with that offensive line. Like I, the Bengals, Bengals fans around here would kill for what they for what the Philadelphia Eagles have been throwing out there along that offensive line this year. It's just that it's not a top three, top five offensive line like Carson Wentz has been accustomed to, and it's a little worrisome. Like the way he's played through two weeks, there's no sugarcoating it. That's that you can't. That's not starting quarterback in the NFL. Yeah. You cannot win with play quarterback play that bad my biggest surprise and I'll go on the bad side as well is, is the Houston Texans starting out 0-2 Deshaun Watson has played well I think he ranks inside the top 20 in PFF grade so far this year I like their weapons even though Will Fuller did come up lame with a hamstring injury in this past week I still like Brandon Cooks I think they have enough tight end talent offensive line isn't great but like you said there's ba- other bad offensive lines in the NFL the problem has been the defense in week one they struggled with missed tackles Zach Cunningham and Bernardrick McKinney did not live up to expectation and then you add in that their secondary is not good. A very bad secondary outside of Justin Reed. And I think it surprised me because I felt going into week one, that Chiefs-Texans game, I thought this Texans team could be a team that could compete with the Kansas City Chiefs, be one of those, you know, 
you know, contenders in the AFC, but the more you look at how this defense is playing, I don't know if Deshaun Watson and company is enough to overcome the flaws they have on that side of the ball. I, I see them not necessarily being the contender we thought they were heading into this year. See, this one's not that surprising to me. These these were the one and two seeds last year that they played in the AFC. Mm-hmm. Like you're supposed to lose to the teams. Like these fair, were the teams fair. they were supposed to lose to. They weren't going to be favored in either of these games. And to me, you mentioned the defense. I, w- I always thought the defense was going to be bad. They didn't make any changes in that secondary. Like it was going to be what you saw last year, which was not good. So to me, the offense has been more of a surprise. 36 points through two games offensively. Mm-hmm. You know, 18 points a game with Deshaun Watson. I get you lost DeAndre Hopkins, but this was, you know, he was supposed to have a good offensive line. You still have good receivers. Baltimore does have a good defense, yes, but for them to look like that they did against KC and then back to back weeks to just put up nothing offensively, that's worrisome. Heading into week three now, Pittsburgh, it ain't going to get any easier. Dude, Pittsburgh's defense Pittsburgh's line, defense is line has just demolished teams, over 50% pressure in both games. So uh, this past week, they had four defenders finish with more than five pressures in a single yeah. in a single game that's just absurd they they are in trouble they, they're very much in trouble of starting 0-3 here and I I don't have the stats in front of me but not a lot of teams start 0-3 and make the playoffs who's positively surprising you let's go into the positive end here I think the Jacksonville Jaguars I said this I you thought they were gonna be the number one overall you never believed in Minshew I didn't believe in Minshew all right I, you you had to bring him up it's like a pod requirement every pod we got to bring up Gardner Minshew yeah I didn't believe in him and he's proven me wrong He's played very well, even in their loss this past week against Tennessee. He still, uh, you know, led them to a close game against a playoff team there in the Titans. So uh, I don't think they will be getting the number one pick or the number two pick or probably even the number three pick at this point. So they've definitely surprised me in terms of what they, how well uh, they've looked the first two weeks. Some of the notes I had on Gardner Minshew's performance this past week, I thought he navigated the pocket really well. I think he makes good decisions under pressure. Uh, that Some of those passes under pressure where he puts some touch on the ball, identifies a one-on-one situation and puts it right where it needs to be, I thought were really impressive. Specifically, that Chris Thompson touchdown with a man in his face, I think it was Jadavion Clowney. It, it's really impressive what he does under pressure. I think he's very calm under pressure and also accurate with the football. That was what he was at Washington State. That's what he was in the NFL. He's very accurate throwing downfield. I thought, um, again, another impressive performance for Gardner Minshew this past week. The most positive team or positive surprise for me is Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills. I knew this was going to be a good football team. I'm not surprised they started 2-0. They played two bad football teams to start the season. However, how well Josh Allen has played through the first two weeks I think is impressive. Passing over 300 yards in both games. Obviously had multiple touchdowns in those. It's not about the box scores necessarily, but right now and – you know, people, people who criticize PFF will be upset that he even ranks 15th in PFF grade, but I see that as very impressive. He's way more accurate throwing downfield, has had some mishaps of some fumble concerns here and there. But however, Josh Allen playing like this and probably even a little bit better as he moves forward is huge for this Buffalo Bills team because their defense is good. We knew that. And adding Stephon Diggs, the offensive line is up there. I really do think the Buffalo Bills are a very good team this year. And if Josh Allen can maintain what he's doing right now, even at 15th in the NFL, I think that's enough for this Buffalo Bills team to be a legit contender. Yeah, I'm, they are on the kind of opposite end of the Texans in that they played the Jets and they played the Dolphins. Yes, you, you two know, bad football. They teams. were going to smoke those teams, but I agree that Josh Allen, like just because you're playing a bad defense, you still have to make throws, and, and he's made throws far better than I expected. The crazy, crazy stats for Josh Allen here: his stats under pressure this year, he's 15 of 22 for 300 yards. That's 13.6 yards per attempt with four touchdowns and no picks under pressure with only three sacks taken all year he's been really good throwing the ball downfield yeah 
Like what he's done, and obviously under pressure too. But like I, I mean, you look at the stats of like twenty plus air yards. Like he is on the money and, and really thriving with now Stephon Diggs in the lineup. Uh, let's go to biggest surprise for zero and two. Biggest surprise for that team that's zero and two, or I guess the surprise zero and two team that is in the most trouble. Yes. So if we're talking about like surprise zero and two teams, the Jets and the Dolphins, they don't qualify. Yeah, like, those are not surprise zero and two teams to me. The Minnesota Vikings. Like, I think people thought, oh, them going 0-2 was a surprise. Maybe they weren't supposed to beat, you know, the Packers and the Colts. Maybe, they, like, they, I guess they were favored week one against the Packers. So, uh, them being 0-2, a little bit of a surprise. But I do think the way they went 0-2, even more of a surprise, where they just got manhandled by both of those offenses that they faced in the Packers and the Colts. And we knew this interior offensive line was going to be an issue. It has been an issue. Their guards are rough. Uh, Drew Samia got thrown this past week by DeForest Buckner. Uh, it's just not going to be good, and especially if you're throwing out the youth they are in the secondary and they're not coming along as well as you would like them to. I don't, I don't see how they recover from this. Like, and especially in the the offense is in. anemic. It is struggling to put up points. I mean, we, I, I know Eric said he expected regression, losing Stefanski and Kirk Cousins having to do things differently this year, but he, it has not looked anywhere near like the same offense. And yeah. people understated the Stefan Diggs loss, you know, they have Adam Thielen, they added Justin Jefferson in the draft, but you don't see those receivers creating a ton of separation. Old BC Johnson, I'm sorry, is not getting it done. Like this offense has a lack of playmakers. Yep. Adam Thielen's great. And he's up there in the top graded receivers so far this year, according to PFF, but he can't do it by himself. I, I think st- losing Stefan Diggs was big, losing Stefanski was big and not making significant upgrades along the offensive line. Now has this team sitting at 0-2 with not a lot of, you know, hope, you know, Dr. Eric Eager calls them the third worst team in the NFL through two weeks he's 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 hard on the vikings not being good biggest surprise for me and it's largely because i don't know how they lost this last week <laughs> is the atlanta falcons the atlanta falcons offense is good calvin ridley and julio jones are playing out of this world obviously julio jones had that drop this past week and didn't live up to fantasy expectation but t- both those receivers are top receivers in the nfl i said that calvin ridley is top eight in the nfl right now i'm, I'm feeling good about what he can do specifically to talk about ridley for a little bit what I really liked when I was studying him in the offseason, May, June, was how he created separation and, and used his leverage to create separation against off coverage. Because he sees so much off coverage, but doing it and creating separation when some, you know, the outside cornerback will have advantage was really impressive me. And you continue to see that against Dallas as well. It's not like he's only beating you know, press at the line. I, I think Calvin Ridley's playing you know, really well right now. He's the highest graded receiver in football, according to PFF, through two weeks. But the Falcons 0-2. They should have beat Dallas. And that was a bad New Orleans Saints offense. That was a game they should have won as well. Like, that was one where they were given an opportunity to win that football. Not, not, not New Orleans Saints. Sorry. Yeah. I was like, what you... <laughs> I, I, I'm, I've lost there. But, I, I mean, I think the, the Falcons the going down. Yeah. yeah. The, the Falcons going down 0-2 and, and losing to the Cowboys this past week is uh, they're in trouble now. I mean, it's going to be hard to come back in that division. Yeah. I don't. I could see them bouncing back though because of what we just mentioned. Yeah, they have two very good receivers. Maybe the probably the best one-two punch in the NFL with Matt Ryan at quarterback. Like they have the firepower to win any game. And what are they probably like? They're probably top three in the league in scoring right now after mm-hmm. through two weeks. So they they can put up the points. It's just that defense is rough, and the defense will give up a lot of passing yards this season, unfortunately, because they one struggle to rush the passer, and two they just have very young secondary. So. Uh, I do think they are in trouble, but I could see them bouncing back to some degree just because they are so good offensively. It'll be tough to win in that division. I mean, you obviously you sneak, sneak in as a wild card contender. All right, 2-0 team you don't believe is legit. 
I, I don't think the Rams, I, I didn't think they were going to be great heading into the season. Their defense has exceeded my expectations a bunch, but they also faced Carson Wentz, and Carson Wentz is just all over the map. Like, mm-hmm. That helped them a lot. Obviously, them shutting down the Cowboys was impressive, but I think this team is a great front runner, and they are successful when they have leads. And you saw they've used play action 48% of the time this year. Jared Goff's been under pressure only 28% of the time this year. And when he when he has been under pressure, he's been the Jared Goff we know and, and don't like under pressure, a 34.9 passing rate under pressure. But they've just schemed very well to not have him under pressure. But I think if they get behind, they don't have a lead. If things aren't if they aren't being able to stay on schedule, you're going to see him be under a lot more pressure because I still don't trust that offensive line uh, after what we saw from them last year and just what they're throwing out there. So as much as you know, they've beaten two probably quality football teams in the Dallas Cowboys and maybe the Philadelphia Eagles, we don't know at this point how they look. I do think that they probably come back down to earth at some point, especially once you start going up against 49ers, Arizona Cardinals, Seattle Seahawks in your division. That's going to be just difficult to sustain. I'm saying I think the Rams are more legit than you. I think what the offense – I think Sean McVay has taken back way more control of the offense. Seth Galina talks about all the time, like he's the puppet master there. Doesn't let Jared Goff make his own mistakes. He's going to make the mistakes for him. And I think that has a path to success. We saw that when they went to the Super Bowl, and I think him, he, they're getting back to that a little bit. This was a tough question for me. I think, I think a lot of the 2-0 teams are very good, and I, I think the Arizona Cardinals are very good. But if I had to sink one that wasn't necessarily legit, I'm going to go to the Arizona Cardinals. And I was high on them going into this year. But the reason being that... I think they're going. their defense isn't good, their offensive line is a liability, and they're going to have to chunk their way down the football field a lot too because they're not asking Kyler Murray to push the ball downfield a ton. I know he opened it up a little bit in week two, but right now only a, a 7.4 average depth of target. That ranks 19th. His PFF grade through two weeks ranks 19th. I think I'd like to see them have a playmaker outside of DeAndre Hopkins. I think right now yeah. you, you, it's, it's feeding DeAndre Hopkins and then some shot plays Andy Isabella, Christian Kirk. That was a beautiful pass down the sideline. I still feel like there's a lot of weaknesses on this team that better teams exploit. The San Francisco 49ers got beaten week one, and this past team they were not going against a very good Washington football team, specifically offensively. I, I'm interested to see how this Cardinals team progresses. They're going to be better than last year. They already are. I just don't know if they're going to be that 2-0 and team that turns this into a deep postseason run. Yeah, there are some issues offensively. Their, pass, their passing offense hasn't been great, and it's <laughs> been just DeAndre Hopkins. forty percent. He has over 40% of the receiving yards on the season. I do love that they're getting the ball in Kyler Murray's hands more as a runner. Oh, yeah. I think that's been huge and a big reason for their offensive success. Um, so there is reason to me. Like The more you can do that, the more I think you can just sustain a consistent offense. You have a higher floor offensively when you have a quarterback that can run like that so Mm -hmm. i I do think to some degree there's a lot of room for room to be hopeful that they can't sustain this but i do agree that there's issues defensively and issues on that offensive line that i'd be worried about i mean jr sweezy is one of the lowest lowest grade offensive linemen in football right now he's getting tossed right it's going to be tough for him this year all right we're going to pivot now to mike's Rolling Rooks, the top five rookies from week two. I, I, I like this. I like these names, man. I'm also I'm also big on one name that didn't make the cut, but I think it was a lot of talent uh, this past week. All right, number one, we're gonna kick it off. Tristan Wirfs, highest graded rookie this past week, going up against Carolina Panthers. Not a great matchup. He, was, he went up against Stephen Weatherly, I believe, more than he did Brian Burns. Only two hurries on the day. Now they were terribly egregious. One of them has got a bull rush back in the pocket. One was the inside move that was actually against Burns mm-hmm. that. He, walked, he he pushed past Brady. Brady snuck out the right side. It wasn't that impactful. So 
Liked what I saw there. Two big-time blocks in the day from him. And that just comes after also what we saw from him in week one, just holding his own against Cameron Jordan. He didn't dominate Cameron Jordan by any means. I think Cameron Jordan got him on a few reps for sure. But that's Cameron Jordan. That's you know a perennial Pro Bowl defensive end who is a difficult matchup, play in and play out. To hold your own as a rookie in your first game, pretty impressive. So he's going to be my number one most impressive rookie of the week. I think, you know, with Tristan Wurst, and we've talked about offensive line play a lot on this podcast, specifically rookie offensive line play, what you look for is not getting beat badly. And Tristan Wurst, through two weeks now, has not gotten beat badly. Obviously, he had the, the inside, uh, he allowed a pressure on Burns on the inside move, but still was able to push him out. Was not like an emphatic loss by any means. Derek Brown pushed him into the pocket a bit with an illegal hands to the face penalty kind of caused that doing, uh, for the most part. I think Tristan Wurst, not being on the stat sheet, not being standing out is a big is big for him because they've asked him to go against some some decent talent. Obviously, Cameron Jordan week one, who hasn't looked good. Opposite of him is Donovan Smith, who's been getting kind of torched a bit and even called out by Bruce Arians. But I would agree. I mean, he's the highest graded rookie this past week, according to PFF. Of course, of course, he's going to be number one. But I think stacking that on top of a performance in week one, that was impressive. Justin works out of the gate looking really good. And it's huge for the Bucs because that was their hole. Mm -hmm. Like that was what they needed offensively with Tom Brady and, you know, this whatever dream team that they've assembled down there in Tampa. Not a lot. You can't, it's difficult to rely on a first year offense tackle. Like even some of the best in the NFL nowadays, like even some guys who are elite now, we're not that way as rookies. Like that that was a big risk to go for a guy uh, and have him have to plug him in right away because you were so thin at that position. But man, it looks like it's paid off in a big way. It looks like he's going to be just a solid offense tackle. Probably, like I said, better than Donovan Smith right out the gate. Obviously encouraging you to pay Donovan Smith a ton of money. So <laughs> number two on my list, Rolling Rooks of the Week, C.D. Lamb becomes the first wide receiver from the vaunted 2020 class to go over 100 yards. Does it with maybe an OPI there on that last play, uh, just under two minutes, the one that got them into field goal range after they got the onside kick. But to me, the more impressive rep that he had was a third and seven with like six minutes to go. He's running a crossing route against man coverage. Not a good route to run against man coverage because there's no real break on the route. You just, you're just running in a straight line. It's like speed versus speed. If corner's fast and you, he's going to be able to keep up. But he got that separation at the line of scrimmage. In press coverage at the line of scrimmage, he had a nice fake outside release and got that separation at the line of scrimmage and then never let it go and caught a contested catch for a big third down there. So CeeDee Lamb, to me, Second most impressive rookie of the week. His most impressive route wasn't the one where he put Drake Kirkpatrick in a blender on the out route. Did you see that? That one was also insane. You got from the slot, worked um like literally Drake Kirkpatrick falls on his back. Nate Tice put it out, and then I went back and watched it on the all twenty two. It's that's another really impressive route that C Lamb. That was the one I highlighted. I thought what I what I put in here with Lamb is nice route on the goal line that he got didn't get bailed got bailed out by um bad throw I mean not bailed out but got kind of screwed over by a bad throw but I think what I saw too is like the same route running that he was using to create separation Oklahoma in the Big 12 was also creating separation against NFL defensive backs and I think that seeing his style lead to open you know open receptions against coverage uh, single coverage and zone concepts was was really impressive not surprised that he's already off to a really hot start I think he had a really high floor in this class from the uh, among the receivers that were drafted Drake Kirkpatrick plays for the Cardinals. Not Drake Kirkpatrick, then. Number 34. Who was that? I don't even know who got destroyed on that one. The slot corner? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the one I'm talking about, the OPI. Oh, okay, okay. You think that was OPI? Yeah, he pushed off. I mean, that was was the one to get him in the field goal range, yeah. Um, All right, number three, Jonah Jackson, Detroit Lions guard. 77.0 overall grade this past week. Only one really, only one bad rep in pass pro all game long against the Packers. And two... Pretty nasty pancake blocks in the day. He yep. looks like he belongs. He, he had a 
didn't have a great grade week one, but he was blocking Akeem Hicks all week. Mm-hmm. And for, uh, similar to Tristan Wirfs, that you know, all week, all game. So Tristan Wirfs where, yeah, the grade wasn't great for Wirfs week one, but if you're holding your own and not getting your butt whooped by, you know, a Pro Bowl type of player in your first week, that's usually an encouraging sign. So Jonah Jackson through two weeks, uh, as expected, I'll say from how high we were on him. Yeah, I mean, multiple pancakes in the run game is big, too, because he graded really well in pass protection but wasn't necessarily super high graded as a run blocker. But I thought he handled the first level really well. Moving up to the second level, I saw sometimes, I mean, moving laterally, there were some just guys that faster than him. But I think overall, Jonah Jackson... Again, we're talking about rookie offensive linemen that we you know, have harped on being very difficult to translate so instantly. Yeah. But Jonah Jackson, Tristan Wirfs, I throw Mekhi Becton in there, have all like looked so much better than you maybe would have thought going in, and especially with the abbreviated offseason, no yeah. preseason. These guys are, are coming in and playing really well. So Jonah Jackson, well-deserving of that number three spot, in my opinion. All right, four and five on my list of rolling rooks. Both Kansas City Chiefs, both defensively, looking already like two of the steals of the draft. Legereus Sneed. LA Tech corner slash safety has looked great out to get two picks in two weeks this past week four of six targets for 37 yards only two of those six targets ended up going for first downs and he had that nice pick where it was more of a bad throw from Justin Herbert to be honest uh, but I, I thought like through two weeks you can't for him to be playing safety last year at LA Tech and now he played corner before that safety last year at LA Tech fourth rounder and he's played about as well as any cornerback not named C.J. Henderson or Jalen Johnson through two weeks. That's really impressive to me. And then this guy, Tershawn Wharton, defensive tackle. They list him at 255 because that's what he was listed in college. There's no way he's 255. This guy came out of nowhere. Missouri S&T is where he's from. He is small, though, for a defensive tackle, but they play him at nose tackle because this guy has – he plays with the most ridiculous leverage. I haven't seen anyone get lower than him. He, has, he had five positively graded plays on 15 snaps week one, five more this past week on 29 snaps, two run stops. This guy's legit. Like, this guy came out of nowhere, UDFA for the Chiefs, and I think they got a player in Tershawn Wharton. Which, wow. Right? Go back I, to the tape on this This guy, guy he's very good. That's like, a deep guy, a hidden gem. Yeah. Honorable mentions here. I know you have highlighted Chase Claypool had a big, really nice catch down the sideline. Yeah. I also put in Mekhi Becton. I thought he still looks, I mean, after week one and week two, he's graded really well, looks really good in the run game. And I think similar to Wirfs, like his losses aren't bad. Like he's not getting torched in pass protection. He's had some beats. I mean, he's he's given up some pressures this season, but the losses are not nearly as bad as you would expect from rookie offensive linemen. And we had concerns with his, you know, true pass blocking snaps, the amount he had, the experience he had at Louisville, but he's looking the part out of the gate uh, for the New York Jets. All right, you're ready to jump to after close, our second-year player mm-hmm. segment here. I have some names listed. But before we jump to that, which is going to be some good names, we've got to jump to our sponsors real quick. PFF's podcast network is getting larger. We're adding a ton of new podcasts, a ton of great podcasts. We obviously have our core, PFF NFL podcast with Steve Palazzolo and Sam Monson, something that's been tried and true for, honestly, as long as PFF's been around. So many different talent on that podcast. Sam and Steve owning it right now. The Fantasy Football Podcast with PFF and Ian Harditz. Uh, that's a new podcast for us that is doing really well right now. You need it. If you are playing fantasy football, DFS, either or or both, you need to listen to Ian Harditz every single week. I think he records four or five episodes a week, so a lot of good content on the Fantasy Football Podcast. You also have the PFF Forecast with George Jahuri and Dr. Eric Eager. If you bet on football games or really care about positional value, I think they do a really good job of explaining the NFL in detail that others don't. I would encourage you to listen to that. You also have two for one drafts. I heard it's decent. We'll never know. Unexpected Points with Kevin Cole is a new fantasy football podcast with really 
an analytically driven mind in Kevin Cole. That guy goes into the numbers. He also does a really good job with our DFS showdown series. If you play DFS, Kevin Cole is your guy. This guy's identifying stacks, showdown captains, etc. Seth Galina, a new uh, new analyst with PFF this year, has a college football podcast. That's another good one. And then lastly, the PFF Daily Betting Podcast, a rotation of PFF talent that tries to give you 15 minutes every single day on bets you need to make or bets you shouldn't have taken. So a lot of good stuff on that one as well. MooseFit is a premium online workout program and remote coaching service that provides you with daily workouts based on your goals, the time you have available, and the equipment you have at your disposal. Gyms still closed because of COVID and you don't have any equipment at your home or apartment? MooseFit has a bodyweight program that will push you and challenge you. Heading on a beach vacation and looking to tighten things up a bit? MooseFit has a physique program. With 15 different pre-made programs, MooseFit has something for everyone. Additionally, MooseFit offers completely customized programs that are unique to each member. No two custom programs are the same. Purchase your MooseFit membership and a MooseFit coach will reach out to you with a questionnaire. Based on the information provided in the questionnaire, your MooseFit coach will either assign you a pre-made program or will create a custom program for you. All workouts are delivered to members through an easy-to-use mobile and desktop application that allows you and your coach to easily track your progress and make any adjustments to your program that may be necessary. Founded by a former Army Special Operations CAPT and former Division I athlete turned professional CrossFit athlete, MooseFit is, is well-equipped to help provide you with daily workouts that will challenge you and help you reach your health and fitness goals. For PFF listeners, use promo code PFF50 and receive 50% off your first month. For more information, check them out on Instagram at MooseFit or on their website, www.moosefit.co, not com.co. All first-time depositors at Monkey Knife Fight that put at least $20 into their account while using promo code PFF will receive a free PFF Edge annual subscription. Free. Completely free. That's a $40 value for just $20, and you'll get the opportunity to turn that $20 into even more money playing daily fantasy and prop games at one of the fastest-growing fantasy sports sites in the United States in Monkey Knife Fight. Go to Monkey Knife Fight and deposit your $20 with promo code PFF today to receive your free PFF Edge annual subscription. After close, guy I want to start with who saw you know significant snaps to the Los Angeles Rams because Cam Akers went down with injury was Daryl Henderson. And a lot of people liked him coming out of Memphis. And he had a very high force miss tackle rate for us coming out of Memphis. And this one, I think he led all backs or tied for the lead with all backs with five force miss tackles. I-, I thought it was a very good game for him. I think the box score was a little bit better than maybe he- how he performed. But I still felt like it was a good game for Daryl Henderson, one that, you know, he's benefiting from what is positive regression along the Rams offensive line. Like last year it was terrible, but some of the similar names, I feel like they're just playing more up to expectation. Like Rob Havenstein and company are playing more up to expectation, reading that well, one cut type of back where when he sees the hole and hits it, he's a load to bring down. I think Daryl Henderson, you know, really taking advantage of the opportunity he has right now. Yeah. And what I liked was how they used him in that game, because you go back to his Memphis tape and how they used him at Memphis. It was wide runs. Like he was not, it's kind of a skinnier back, and they were not down. They weren't hitting him on like a lot of inside zone, downhill concepts. They were pitching it to him, getting him out on outside zone. That's what you saw this past week. Outside of that one goal line run, which is pretty nice, uh, you saw him getting the ball wide. And then, mm-hmm. like you said, one cut runner. He puts his foot in the ground, gets upfield, and he has that burst out of his cuts. That is why they drafted him in the third round. And so I think the usage uh, 
goes hand in hand Playing with his strength. yes exactly goes hand in hand with him looking good as well and, and we've had this conversation before about coaches and obviously like play design matters uh play calling decision making in, in critical situations but another thing and i've stressed this too is just putting players that you have in a position to succeed that's what sean McVay does with jared goff that's what he's doing now with daryl henderson like identifying your player strengths and knowing their weaknesses to put an offense or a defense together to leverage them is huge and they're doing that exactly that with daryl henderson the other name terry mclaurin went off a little bit in a, in, in a little bit of a inter, an interesting game for the Washington football team. But I think he continues to what I saw on tape, his speed, man. He gets out very fast, very explosive, and really puts pressure on defensive backs to react and open hips and stuff. And he continues to create separation at a high level. I'm going to highlight him and Deontay Johnson, who I put in all caps in my notes, roller coaster i mean he's got two really bad drops on tape but then he has like sick moves after the catch like legit moves different um and never i mean the, the long touchdown but never in doubt i mean he was just burning the guy the whole way and then eventually as uh, ben roethlisberger scrambled right got two there um and he also had like a really impressive catch on a curl route that like he's got like these focus drops that like make you like grab your head and then the fumble every time every once in a while not this past week but roller coaster for sure but terry mclaurin and deontay johnson both getting heavy volume and looking the part in year two yeah, and Deontay, we kind of said it. Like, you, you saw the talent mm-hmm. there. Even as a rookie, he was, what, second in the NFL in broken tackles after the catch. You see the ability with him, even dating back to Toledo, uh, it's been about consistency. Like, the guy just has reps and plays that are so boneheaded. Yeah. And that you just can't live with. You can't, Like, those turn into picks. Those turn into negative plays when you are – making bad decisions or just like out of it on certain plays the way he is but the talent i mean he's right up there with pretty much anyone in the draft class in terms of what he can do so a big game this week i I think he'll continue i think he's their outside guy like i think he's the guy that ben rossberg is going to go to most on the outside oh yeah you know juju i mean he's leading the team in target share i mean andrew erickson one of our fantasy analysts sees him finishing ahead of juju smith schuster and fantasy points when it's all said and done this year two more names on the offensive side of the ball dk metcalf and Noah Fant, Metcalf, putting on a show against Stefan Gilmore. I, I, the curl route was super impressive. Obviously, the deep touchdown. I, I'm a huge fan. I mean, he just put, again, similar to McLaurin, like his explosive ability just puts pressure on cornerbacks as good as Stefan Gilmore, and, and it opens things up. I mean, really impressive week two for DK. We said it, man. That was why he was our top receiver in that draft class, because the vertical route tree. He wins those. Go balls, hitches, double moves. I don't know what you're going to do. The guy's 228 pounds, runs a 4'3". And, and like, <laughs> what are you going to do to that? Like, you got to be a specimen to even think about guarding him on a vertical route tree, and especially if you pair him with someone like Russell Wilson, who throws about the prettiest deep ball in the NFL. Like, that is just a match made Copying in Copying Chris now. Chris called him the best deep ball thrower in the NFL on oh, Sunday night. Yeah. I don't listen to Chris. Sorry, Chris. <laughs> yeah. But uh, he really does. And that, like, the usage there, the way they've used him – is perfect, and that's why I said he was our number one receiver because you felt just sure that that skill set was going to work out. Now, is he going to ever be anything more than that? Is he going to be DeAndre Hopkins? I don't think so. I, like he's just not a complete route runner. Don't think he has the, that sort of flexibility. But he have to be. Of, but you don't have to be exactly like that. Where he's winning just so happens to be very valuable and so <laughs> as we've seen with the Seahawks this year, uh, yeah. What was your opinion of Noah Fant this past week? He had a big week. Noah Fant. Uh, He's been a lot better than I expected. And, and also the way they're using him is how is how you can win at, with tight end in the NFL. With guys have speed, you match them up on linebackers who don't have speed, 
you don't have to do much then to win. Like you don't have to be a nuanced route runner to provide value. They're running him on crossers, corners, vertical seam routes. That's how they're using him, and that's just a mismatch for opposing defenses. He won on a corner uh, against it was a Devin Bush this week, who actually like he has speed himself, but it's just difficult when you have a tight end that runs a four or five to account for him because usually you don't have a player you know in the area of the field he is going to be in that also runs a four or five, and if you don't, and he's running a straight you know like I said crosser go vertical something like that, it's going to be difficult. Two defensive uh, second-year players I want to bring up. Two of my favorite tapes this week, actually, uh, going back and watching the All-22, Dexter Lawrence and Quinton Williams. Both these guys dominated the line of scrimmage, had multiple splash plays as run defenders. I thought, starting with Dexter Lawrence, I don't think there was a Bears offensive lineman that could really hold up with him one-on-one. There was one double team that he kind of got pushed off the line of scrimmage on, but everything else, like winning one-on-one matchups, pushing people back, constantly around the football. Dexter Lawrence really impressive against the run. I'm pretty sure right now he ranks top five in PFF grade among those at his position. And Quinn Williams, I said it, I tweeted it out, I, it was the best game of his career. Easily. Easily the best game of his career. Yep. That, that one was the one that really, to me, stuck out in that, Splash plays. Mm-hmm. You, you you didn't see. Dude, he beats that pulling guard on that one up. To, I mean, yeah. that's the, the explosiveness off the snap was like I wrote it like five times. Like you can't you can't top that. And that was the weirdest part about his rookie year was that you thought you'd at least see the splash plays. Maybe he would have some a lot of negative plays to you know make up for it or just like not be the same sort of uh, you know consistently see those splash plays. But you didn't see any. Like you just saw a guy who was a different player altogether. But this is the first game where you really saw multiple times where it just like pops off screens. Like, Oh, that guy, that's, that's different. Like, you know, like only a few de- not a lot of defense tackles can make the play he just made. And that's what we thought he would be coming out. That's why we were so high on him. And I think they're finally sort of seeing that guy, uh, which also kind of, whatever happened to the gun thing? Did they, did they I don't ever, know what happened like, with that. He, he timed that so perfectly. It was like a week before COVID. He went to an <laughs> airport with a gun. That's right. COVID happened. I think the the New York penal system forgot about it. Like everyone forgot about it. So. I have no idea what happened. I remember we were talking about it on the podcast. Like, dude, what's going on? You know, <laughs> yeah, I was like, year? Is for, this the end? Worried I mean. <laughs> that he would never play a snap in the NFL again. And now. Dude, there's that rep too. I go back and watch Quinn Williams State. One, but there's that rep against Trent Williams too, where he jacks him up and you see him get inside. It's just, I, I was really impressed with what Quentin Williams did this past week. Let's get to people we weren't so impressed with, or specifically a rookie we weren't impressed with. I texted you today. I, I thought it was one of the worst performances I've seen from a center in a while. Since Blackout performance, Lloyd Cushenberry of the Denver Broncos allowed eight pressures, but also was pantsed in the run game multiple times. I, a lot of negatively graded plays in this one. Lloyd Cushenberry couldn't handle Tyson Alawalu, got beat by Cameron Hayward. I, there was The Steelers could do no wrong against this guy, and, and honestly, it was just in over his head, honestly. Yeah. It's something about the center position. There's probably there's just like got to be so much to handle right the insane. game that – We've seen, I mean, we saw it last year with Garrett Bradbury. Some guys just have some nightmarish performances when they're not ready. That was Lloyd Cushenberry this past week, where it's just, and he's going up against Tyson Alualu, which I, I can't say that's an easy sort of uh, matchup because he's the highest graded defense tackle in the NFL right now. Due in was, large part to going against Lloyd Cush. But he was also very good in week one against, was it Jalapio or whoever he was going up against for the Giants. I, I do think that, uh, though, that this Cushenberry, like that's who we kind of saw last year. It was. No, like he, he, he didn't he allow pressure. more pressures than any other center, center in football in the, in, last year? Yeah, so I didn't think his pass pro would be great out the gate, and well, that's been great out the gate. Uh, honorable mention, some rookie corners here. Let's start with Jeffrey Akuda. <laughs> rookie corners this year, three guys allowed 100 yards last week, 
three different guys now. No, Igbenogany was also lost in the sauce. They threw him on Stefan Diggs, though. Yeah, man follow, he was following Stefan Diggs. Yeah. Come on. Well, you're what asking you you're thinking? asking for death. I, I mean, Jeffrey Okuda was following Devontae Adams yeah. into the slot. Like, I, I, don't, yeah. I don't know what you're asking them to do, but you're going against Stefan Diggs and Devontae Adams are two of the better route runners in the NFL. You're going to ask them to go against them and two-way goes from the slot? Hello, you just got, I mean, Jeffrey Okuda got baked three times in a row, it felt like. Igbenogany also gave up over 100 yards. Both those guys really struggled. Oj Moutier, too. The Dolphins and the the Jets had a tank off because the Dolphins <laughs> had Igbenogany follow Stefan Diggs in man coverage, which might as well be like red sirens going off. Yes. Like, we're not, we're trying to lose. Let me put my rookie corner who barely played week one on the maybe the best route runner in the NFL. What do you think is going to happen? No yeah. help. And then the Jets gave Frank Gore 21 carries in the game. They were like <laughs> getting killed. What? You're giving, why are you giving a 30? Dude, what, the Jets ran the football as many times as the Niners did in that game. And they were losing from the get. That doesn't make any sense. How, how are you saying. running the football that this much? Is, when Sam Darnold, too, in garbage time is slinging it. Like yeah. that throw I highlighted on Twitter, I go, encourage you to go to the timeline. Like Sam Darnold was putting it on the money. And here we are running Frank Gore on early downs into a, the pit of misery. He had 21 carries for 63 yards. Like it's not like 21 carries and he away. went for like 105. <laughs> like there was like something, they saw something there that they liked. No, they just pounded a 37-year-old running back for no reason. Dude. So uh, embarrassing, honestly. But yes, the rookie corners Akuda, Igbenati, and Ochimudi had given up. I'm glad they even got worked a little bit Chase on limited Claypool. snaps too. Uh, wasn't yeah. a good week for rookie corners. Let's raise a glass. Good raise a glass. Let's get some positive here. Let's go to college. It was not a good week of games, Mike. They had slate in the one. Dude, we that... lost Chaz Surratt too. Charlotte canceled. Yeah. Houston Baylor canceled. Baylor. It, it was brutal, man. Absolutely brutal. The best yeah. game, honestly, to watch was Louisville Miami. And I thought there's Notre Dame South Florida for me. But. It was not Notre Dame South Florida. That game sucked. <laughs> that game was terrible from the start. Though I wanted to highlight. I mean, if we want to talk about the game a little bit, I thought Tommy Tremble looked kind of nice, good as a run blocker, and also I thought yeah, good because you got Steve Palazzolo shooting me a text, Hunter Long for Boston College grading really well. Dude was really struggling to create separation yeah. in that game and caught all five of the contested six. catches, which is great. And you're going to grade well when you contest, you know, catch all your contested catch opportunities. Mm-hmm. But I thought Tommy Tremble showed he had a little bit more juice. I thought Brevin Jordan had a better performance from a juice perspective. That hurdle was pretty sweet. Uh, but back to who you really want oh, to wait, highlight. No, one sec. Uh, we're not going to give him fake ID because he like, didn't have a ton of yards. But uh, they're actually their freshman tight end, Michael Mayer. He's going to be a first-round pick. The, number 87? Uh, for, for Notre Dame? No, he's like, is he 24? Is no, 24 is Tommy okay. Trem. Okay, he's, yeah, he's, yeah, he's seven, yeah. Yeah, he's um, Tommy Trem. I don't think he goes by that nickname. Uh, offensive raise the glass here is going to be Derek King. Mm-hmm. Two big-time throws in this game. I also, I find myself constantly bewildered at how he's able to avoid, you know, people Pressure. in the pocket as yeah. small as he is. I, I think he is the most hashtag fun-to-watch player in college football through the first three weeks. <laughs> it's going to be interesting to see the conversation if, like, he says he wants to play quarterback and in the happens. NFL. Yeah. Because I mean, he's what? Five, nine, five, 10. He's not going to, and he's not, he does not have the arm. Kyler Murray has, he has a fairly weak arm. Not close. NFL Kyler Murray yeah. is, so like, is a different level. Yeah. And so I don't think the NFL is going to really give him a shot at quarterback, but he is, he is electric. I, I, I would not be surprised if he catches on at a different position, whether it's running back or wide receiver. Defensive raise the glasses, Aleem McNeil of NC State, a guy we've talked about doing large part that he was on Bruce Feldman's Freaks list. And we talked, we had a segment about guys we wanted to go back to the tape on because they were on that list. And I remember going back and being really impressed this past week, an 89.9 overall grade for Aleem McNeil. Dude, he, him in the run game was a, little, a lot of hashtag fun to watch. <laughs> and 
one, he's just so tough in terms of his speed, like his get off. He's explosive. So explosive. And I thought this game, and I was against Wake Forest, not world beers along the offensive line, but he was eating doubles better than we saw last year. Uh, from him, we need and a segment on eating doubles. Eating, oh, dude, I love double double from In and Out. We get a yeah, we get a sponsor from that. Oh man, In and Out just sends it all the way to the East Coast. <laughs> that would but be truly incredible. He's he's worked his way up. D, I feel like he works way up to DT board with how athletic he is. Nice, similar to like a Neville Gallimore, where if he has you know big season, I think this guy could get into the second there round. There you go. Range. Have yourself a day, Aline McNeil. You're moving up Mike's board. All right, pour one out. We're getting back to negativity at the collegiate level, starting with Boston College offensive lineman Zion Johnson. Three pressures allowed. Bull rushed by Rumpf. Yeah, he got bull rushed by Chris Rumpf. It's unfortunate. <laughs> Which is tough to say out loud. So he was, this is a guy I like it on the interior. And I think he's going to be an interior office lineman in the NFL. A big dude. Transferred from Davidson two years ago to Boston College. Or first year at Boston College last year at guard. He's not going to be a tackle. And they put him out of tackle this year. Understandably, because, you know, you put your best offensive lineman at tackle. But he's going to be an interior lineman. But this one got away from him. He's going up against Chris Rumpf. You know, Chris Rumpf gave him a little of the business. So, uh, unfortunate poor one out for Zion. But I just kind of want to see him. He's one of those guys, if you're at tackle, just see him get better over the course of the year. You might not be great right away. But if, towards the end of the year, if he's getting better, then you got something to work with. But I still think he's an interior lineman. Defensively, we're pouring one out for uh, Reed Blankenship, the safety. Who? What was Middle the number Tennessee one State. question mark with Reed Blankenship? The Middle Tennessee State safety. I like him as a prospect. Tackling. And what did he do against Troy? Four missed tackles. <laughs> and, and it's not just that he misses tackles, that there's just like nothing to his tackles. He's just, he needed to add muscle. I don't think he did Toughness. much over the course of the offseason. Like I said, I, I'm going to keep saying it with them. Say it with the guy every year. I had Legere's need last year, uh, Marvell Tell the year before, safeties. I think you should move to corner. Tackling is not as big of an issue in your outside corner. It's, I mean, it's not a bad take. Yeah. All right, last segment of the podcast today. We're going to go with the fake ID. I, I wanted to highlight Dylan Gabriel here, Mike. Go what was it. your opinion of his him. game? He's got a popcorn arm. Just, <laughs> he, like he doesn't <laughs> What's have wrong it? with popcorn arms? We've <laughs> seen Gardner Minshew have success. I know it's fun to doubt popcorn arms, and obviously your ceiling is limited. You don't open up the entire field. There's a reason... NFL evaluators have been falling in love with rocket arms since literally like the 50s. You know, Jamarcus Russell went number one overall because he'd throw 80 yards off his back while eating a McDouble. But I'm saying Dylan Gabriel, popcorn arm, here we go, noodle, whatever it is, you're going to grade well in PFF system if you consistently put the ball where it needs to go with accuracy. And that's exactly what he's doing, and he's grading well doing it. Seven big-time throws this past week. Uh, And it was against what, George Tech? Mm -hmm. Not a... Dreadful, you know, defense. It's not like you're doing it against the Citadel, like Trevor Lawrence, who... Can we just talk okay, about can we Lawrence talk about second? Trevor Lawrence for a second? Yeah, I need to. Trevor Lawrence, people were like, oh my gosh, it's against the Citadel. Who cares? The throws he was putting on tape, specifically the deep ball right in the back of the end zone, and then that fireball yeah. over the middle. Yeah. I don't care what defense you're playing against. Yeah. That is arm talent on display. Not, you know... not That one throw was 60 yards. Throw yeah. catch. It was absurd. That, I don't understand how people were bringing up on the timeline, like, yeah, against Citadel. It's like, did you just see what he did with the football yeah. using his right arm? That's not something you – I don't care if you do it against fifth graders. To do that and put it on display was really, really impressive. Trevor Lawrence is someone we could bring up every single week, but he's the highest graded college quarterback in football right now, and for very good reason because yeah. this guy, like you said last week, is getting better somehow. Yeah. But, okay, back to Dylan Gabriel. Sorry, Dylan, you know, I could do the whole podcast about Trevor Lawrence. But, yeah, Dylan Gabriel, the interesting thing is, so he's only a true sophomore. We've seen arm strength get stronger if a guy gets, like, 
bigger, more, you know, if he themselves get stronger. So he has time to get to that, but six foot, 186, I just, he, he's just not there right now. Yeah. But he is playing lights out football. I mean, at 80.3 passing grade as a true freshman, 90.2 this past week against Georgia Tech. So seven big time throws. Throws a pretty ball. He is accurate with the football. We'll see how his career develops. Uh, I picked him to go to the playoff, if you recall. I do recall. Uh, so I'm hoping he <laughs> figures, you know, I'm hoping I have that. to continue to light it up if he's there going to go to the playoffs. That's going to do it for two foreign drafts, the rookies and draft prospects podcast. I encourage you guys to rate review and subscribe to the podcast, wherever you find podcasts. Also encourage you to tune in on Thursday. Yeah. It's the Thursday podcast where we preview the NFL week three and college football week four slate. We also got Ohio state football coming up big 10. I guess I should have said Ohio state's kind of rude. The big 10 is playing football. And then also the SEC's SEC is coming up as well. This weekend. That I am stoked for. So, a lot of good stuff to come on 2 for 1 Drafts. Until next time, Austin Gale, Mike Renner, 2 for 1 Drafts.